Hey church family, it's Matt, and I'm overjoyed to be have the opportunity this week while Michael's on vacation to share a sermon with you. Now, before we get started, I just want to kind of give you a heads up for the next couple weeks. So this is the sermon for July 4th. Next week on July 11th, we are going to have a special guest here at Rich Fork. And he's a gentleman who's been here with us before. He comes about every two years and shares with us about his missions work on the other side of the world. Now, because of his schedule and because of the sensitivity of what he's going to share with us, we're not going to be able to produce an online sermon for next week, July 11th. So if you're just tuning in and you skipped the July 4th sermon, just know that this sermon's about a week back and you can listen to it again. Or if you're planning on tuning in next week, you can click back, go to our Vimeo page and maybe click on another sermon. And you know what? Justin might even pick one out that's one of his favorites to put up there for you next week. But just know that our sermon next week is not going to be a live sermon from that current week. We will be back to our normal online schedule on July 18th, but we just wanted to let you know that, and I'm going to pray as we dive into our message this morning. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that we get to hear your word. God, I ask during these moments that as people are at home or on vacation or wherever they're at listening to the sermon, if they're listening to the podcast later, Father, that they will just know that you are with them. Father, I pray that you guide my words. Let them be pleasing to you. And Father, we just love you and we praise you. And guide our time together in your name. Amen. So, something most people probably don't know is that Rich Fork actually has a midweek podcast that happens every week. And if we're being really honest about it, it's essentially me and Justin going into my office and recording some of our ramblings as we talk about some deeper theological things and some deeper spiritual things. And if we're being really, really honest, it's probably me and Justin just emotionally, audibly processing our own faith and posting it online. But in the last couple weeks, we decided and felt led that, hey, we want to take this theme of redemption that we've been preaching on every Sunday, and we kind of want to dive into some different aspects of discussing it. So a few weeks ago, we sat down and we outlined a couple-part series that we were going to post on redemption. And we began to start with the thought process of, hey, why don't we start with mentally and spiritually where people are at on their process of redemption. What are the steps they go through? And that brought us to the initial kind of catalyst question, which was, at what point do people desire redemption? Do they want to be redeemed? And even as we were stating it and asking that question, and we began to talk through it on the podcast, all of a sudden the idea and the thought popped into my brain of, wait, is it possible that there are times we don't desire redemption? And as we begin to process that more, I started to really think through that word and how I've been in church for a very, very long time. And that's a very common word. It's a word that when I get up here and I preach it or I say it or I talk about it with other believers, it's this like huge celebration type word. It's this life changing word that we love, that we want to talk about God's redeeming power and how he redeems us. But as we continue to sit there and talk about it, it came to this realization that redemption in a lot of ways can be an abrasive word. And I started to put myself in the context of somebody who was just walking into a church service for the first time, not really knowing something about their belief, or maybe they're listening online, they found this website randomly, and there's this guy talking, and all of a sudden he starts talking about redemption. And when you look at that word, it really, the way we talk about it means a drastically changed life. And I started to realize, you know what, there's a really big possibility that when we talk about redemption within the walls of the church, it's such an abrasive word that somebody could sit there and listen to that and be like, no, I'm good. I don't want to change. I'm all right. That's scary. 
And then I started to think about it for me personally within my life as a believer. And I have to admit, there are areas of my life where I've struggled and been disobedient because I'm fearful of the redemption. And I know that sounds very, very odd, but as I started to think through, well, why are we fearful of redemption? Why would we not desire redemption? Why are there places in my life where I go, you know, I know exactly what I need to do. I know what the result's going to be. I know God's going to move. I know he's going to shift this and he's going to change that. But I'm still kind of holding back. And it's almost like there's this point where I know redemption. I know the math and I know that God's going to move and I have full faith in him and I know him and I know what's going to happen. But it's almost like I'm scared to go there. I'm scared of that change. And when me and Justin were starting to process it and we were talking through it on the podcast, it suddenly hit us that, you know what? There's an aspect of redemption that we have to understand. As soon as we're born, we're born into brokenness and sin. If you're a non-believer, I can, I can kind of articulate that belief within the Christian faith like this. You've heard the phrase, nobody's perfect. Well, that's right. That's what we call as believers. That's sin, that's brokenness, that's rebellion against God. So we are born into a sinful state. We're born never knowing what full redemption feels like. And so we begin our existence and our experience in the world as humans, as broken, sinful individuals. So one thing we've got to understand is when we talk about redemption, we have no idea what that really feels like until we experience by accepting Jesus as our Savior, by accepting that gift of salvation and redemption which He gives in us. It's like the big R redemption. It's that part where all of a sudden our sins are covered and we become this work in progress for the rest of our lives, trying to become more and more like Christ and trying to grow closer and closer to God. And then on the other side of that, as a believer, once we become a believer, God is continuing to work on us. And then there's areas of our life where we battle against that desire for redemption. And so that's what I want to talk about today. We're going to dive into a Bible story here in a minute that probably most of you have heard about. It's the story of Jonah. And the question I want to look at, what I want us to think about in our minds, and I don't just want to ask this question on a practical, hey, give me a Sunday school answer. I want you to really dig in and process within your own mind, within our own lives, as a non-believer or as somebody who's been a believer for a very, very long time? Why is it that with our lives or with part of our lives that we don't want to seek out redemption? Why do we not follow and just go and be redeemed and rescued and pulled out of the water from drowning and saved? It's a very, very interesting thing. But I want to look at, and that's where I want to kind of pick the fight this morning, but I want to look at the passage here in Jonah. So we're going to look in Jonah starting in chapter 1. Now, I want to go ahead and tell you, we're not going to read all of Jonah. And if you know this story, it's about a guy who doesn't listen to God and he runs away and he gets swallowed by this big fish and then he's finally obedient. And then by the end of the book, he's mad again. And I would encourage you, we're not going to read the whole thing, but Jonah's a really short book and would be a really great thing to read for you this week. But as we jump in, we're going to start in chapter 1, verse 1. And it says this, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. 
So right out of the gate, let's just add in a couple details so you understand maybe why Jonah is not being obedient to what God's telling him to do. The first thing to understand is this. Nineveh is the capital of the Assyrian Empire, which is the enemy of the nation of Israel. So right out of the gate, Jonah doesn't like these people. He hates them. He despises them. He wants God to destroy this city and these people. But in any case, he's given a direct command from God to go and tell them of this impending destruction and warn them to repent. But right out of the gate, Jonah hears a direct command from God, and he disobeys. He flees. He runs away. And I'm going to be honest, the most abrasive phrase that shows up both in, in this passage twice and further on as we're going to read, is that he's not just running away from his duty, from what he's supposed to do. He's running from the presence of the Lord. That's one of the most abrasive phrases I hear in scriptures, that somebody is running away from the presence of God. And right out of the bat, you have to understand that that phrase carries a heavy relational sense to it. See, because here's the thing that we do a lot of times when we think about God and being obedient to him. A lot of times we view obedience as a non-relational thing. It's just following a command. It's just following something we have to do. But the reality is all relationships have obedience points. They have rules. They have ways you act because you care about the relationship. And if I'm going to put this in an earthly context, it kind of goes like this. Each of us have relationship rules. We have things we expect people to be obedient or lines they need to walk in order to maintain a healthy relationship. An example of this is lying. For a lot of us, if somebody continues to lie to us over and over again, or maybe if they even lie to us once in a major way, it's a relational deal breaker. And it hurts, right? It hurts our feelings. It makes us distant from them. It pushes back. It makes us have to like refigure things out. Do I know this person? So that's something we probably all have in common as a relational deal breaker. So in that regard, if I value or high relationship value with my wife, then I'm going to make a very clear effort to always be honest with her because I know dishonesty will break the relationship. And so that's something that we have to understand. We're talking about redemption. And as we talked through redemption, me and Justin, on the, on the podcast, we started to realize in that process, there becomes this aspect where we're being relationally obedient to God. We're being obedient. We're following his commands because we love him. We don't have to understand them fully, but we value our relationship with God. We don't always have to necessarily feel it but we want to pursue and be obedient to him. And that's the biggest abrasive that happens in this story of Jonah when it comes to just Jonah himself. He enters this time where he begins to flee and run away relationally from God. Now, when we put that in the context of our conversation, where we're beginning to talk about redemption. There's a point in the redemptive process where we have to be obedient and come to and accept the redemption, which is going to take some action steps. It's going to take some movement and some change. But in Jonah's case, he's doing what we do with a lot of areas of our life. He is starting to run, push away, flee, relationally distance himself from God, and he's trying to get away. And it gets very, very extreme. And if you know this story, you know what I'm talking about, but we're going to continue to read. In verse 4, 
after Jonah gets on the ship and he's running away, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. And the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us and we will not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know who has account, accounted this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon you. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and what are your people? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is it that you have done to us? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of God because he had told them. Now a couple of things I want to point out here. Right now, you see Jonah is fleeing from the presence of God. We ended there on that verse. And it's crazy to me that he's around all these people who don't believe in God, but they can tell he's running. They can tell he's disrupted. They can tell something is off. And not only that, as he is fleeing from the presence of God, even though he's asleep and doesn't realize it, which that's just crazy in itself, He is pulling everyone else down with him because as he's being disobedient, as he's pushing back relationally, as he's distancing himself, he's causing the other people around him to really go down with the ship also, literally in this case. And these men begin to panic and they know what's going on. And this is one of those really crazy things where reading a story about a character in scripture and everyone around him begins to seem to be honorable in what they're doing, but he is running. He continues to not desire to come back to God and receive redemption and be obedient in what he's supposed to do. Now, he's already been asleep in the middle of a storm that's about to take the ship down. Let's keep reading and see how far this goes. Verse 11, then he said to them, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more temptatious. He, being Jonah, said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know that it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Verse 13, Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more temptatious against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered sacrifices to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So at this point, Jonah is so pushed back from being obedient that he, he almost like seems to not care. He knows God is pursuing him. He knows that God is both with grace and discipline coming after him to the point where he's telling the guys, just throw me into the sea. And then when he gets thrown into the sea, God even rescues him then in a very uncomfortable and almost disciplinary way in which he's swallowed by this big fish and he's there three nights and three days. 
Now, here's the mental imagery in my head, because if you read through the rest of Jonah, and we'll encounter this a little bit in chapter four, you see where Jonah completely understands how redemptive God is. He knows, but yet he is sitting three days and three nights in the belly of a fish. And then you look at the first word or the first three words of chapter two. And after three days and three nights, he stops running and turning his back to God. And it says right there, then Jonah prayed. And that's astounding, right? Like we read this story and you go, dude, what is your problem? You know for a fact that all you have to do is cry back out to God, return to Him, and you will be redeemed and rescued. And God will be there for you. And you can fall into His arms. But Jonah was running. And it took him to the point of almost death in the belly of a fish to turn back to God. And we sit there and we read that story and we go, man, that's crazy, right? I I wouldn't have done that. But we do that. We, in the same way, just like Jonah, run from redemption. We run from the rescue that God has. And as a non-believer, when I was a non-believer, it was because I was pushing back. I was going back away because I didn't want to cross that line that I knew I needed to cross to really know God. There was tension within me until that moment where I confessed to him that you are my Savior and made that profession to him. As a believer... There are areas of my life where I know all I have to do is be obedient and go and seek God's redemption in this area of my life. But you know what? I'm Jonah, and I keep pushing back. And so just to speed up this story a little bit and understand, in chapter 2, it's a prayer. It's a prayer recorded of Jonah from the belly of the fish. In chapter 3, Jonah gets spit out of the fish. He gets rescued. He gets sent back. And God tells him a second time, go to Nineveh and preach to these people. Tell them that my judgment is coming. And chapter three is kind of funny because essentially Jonah obeys this time. He goes to Nineveh. He walks into the city. And then if you look in verse four, it tells us that he warned them, but it only records him saying one sentence. Now he might've said more. He might've done a more description, But the great thing is that the city of Nineveh hears him and over 100,000 people repent and the king hears that and they begin to grieve so that they can repent against their evil and their wickedness and their idol worship. And then in chapter four, we find out just then that Nineveh was rescued and we start in chapter four, verse one. After Jonah has been obedient, he's gone and done this, he's still missing the point. Verse one, chapter four. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is it not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting of disaster. Therefore, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? So Jonah is still wrestling. Jonah is still missing the point. Like right now, he's so mad. He's still so angry at these people and who they are that he misses the fact that God allowed him to play a role in rescuing a lot of people. In fact, when you look at the last verse in Jonah, in verse 11, God asked him the question because there's this back and forth and you can go back to chapter four where God's trying to teach Jonah how to be show 
other people the same grace and mercy that God has shown Jonah. And in chapter 4, verse 11, it ends with this. And God asked, asked Jonah, And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120 persons who do not know their right from their left hand, and also much cattle? Which I could ask the question on the much cattle, which is fascinating, but God saved these people. And He did it through Jonah. And chapter 4 is all about Jonah completely missing the point. But when I get to the end of this story and I think through, Jonah ran hard, like he ran fast. He ran quickly to get away from God, to not go down the path of obedience and this path of redemption and do what he knew he needed to do. Almost to the point of killing a ship full of men and also killing himself on multiple occasions. He ran from redemption. And then once he took a step towards redemption, even though he still didn't quite understand, he's still wrestling, he got to play a part in God rescuing a city of more than 120,000 people. And he not only saved their lives, he also pointed them to their relationship with God. He introduced them to the one true God of the universe. And so I sit back and I look at this and you start to think through all the Old Testament prophets. How many Old Testament prophets are there who rescued, who sent a message, who stood in the middle of a town and proclaimed God's word and the people listened and repented and began to follow God? They're very few and far between. And Jonah is one of them. He got to play that role. And so I sit here and I look at this and it just causes me to ask that question in my own life that I want to bring you to. Why are we running from redemption? We absolutely know beyond the shadow of a doubt that we serve a great, holy, merciful God. That His grace that leads to our gratitude and amazement that He's rescued us no matter how broken we are. He rescues us and brings us to a point to where we're not only redeemed for eternity and continuing to be redeemed from our, from our wrestle with sin. But then he uses us in moments to complete his work. He allows us to be a part of that. So why would we run and not desire redemption? Why do we continue to play this game back and forth where we know what we need to do, but we just never act on it? You know on the other side of redemption, no matter what it is, and we can think of that in really, really small, simple ways. You can think about it on a Sunday morning. You know that going to church to worship, stand beside other believers, cry out and worship God, you know how that feels internally and spiritually and what it does for you during the week and how it recenters you and how it's pleasing and obedient to God. But still we wrestle different weekends with, hey, do I want to go or do I not? There's a lot of us that we know we need to connect to a group of other believers. We need to make the effort. We need to step into a group, a Sunday school class, whatever it is. But yet we sit there and we kind of make all these excuses. But in our heads, we know on the other side of this, I'm going to develop relationships. I'm going to grow in my faith. I'm going to be held accountable. But we still don't do it. And then let's be really honest. I know for a lot of us, because this is the online sermon, there's been this habit we've gotten into to where... We're just listening at home, that we just tune in every other Sunday or just enough to make us feel like, hey, we're still connected. And if we 
bump into Michael, we'll see him be like, oh, it's okay, I've been listening online. But let's be real. That's okay for a season. It's not the ideal. And for those of you who are completely capable, you know it's time to re-engage with the church in person. You know what that looks like. You know what that means. You know how both of these paths play out. You know that it's difficult at times. You know that it's tiring. But at the same time, you know what the path to redemption means. And then we can dive into that in our personal lives. And we can look at those areas in our lives where we have never stepped forward and go, no, I need this area of my life to be redeemed. I need to tell somebody I struggle with this. I need to stand before God and admit to him that this action is wrong or this inaction is wrong. I need to make a move and finally restore this relationship. And I've got to take the first step. And when we read through a story like Jonah and we see how far he goes to avoid redemption and how it's just a disaster, it's an absolute disaster. His life falls apart and the people around him's life falls apart. We know that our God is a gracious God, rich in mercy, who is ready to redeem us, to redeem those areas of our lives we keep holding from him. So why do we not act on that redemption and come directly to him? Why do we not seek him? And my challenge this morning is not for you to sit there and name it in your head or you know, write it down on a piece of paper. My challenge for you really is a personal, emotional, and spiritual one. Why are you not moving forward in redemption? Our God is gracious and merciful. Our God wants us to step into a place that we know we will feel better. Things will be better. I'm not saying you're not going to deal with difficulties and heartache in this world, but you know what it means to walk through those with God versus without God. So what are you waiting for? I'm going to pray. And the one thing I would ask is if you're sitting there at home, you're with your family, whatever, maybe now you need to all go into a separate room and you need to take a few minutes and spend some time in prayer before God and move forward in accepting redemption, taking action steps in the areas that you need to take action steps of redemption. Thank you for listening, church family. I'm going to pray for you as we go. Father, I just pray that you do not let us go. That for all of us who have those places in our lives where we're still holding out and we know they need to be redeemed and we know we need to take those simple steps, Father, that you will remind us how crazy it is that we haven't moved forward with those action steps to accept your redemption, to do what we need to do in obedience on our side. Forgive us from fleeing from your presence in those aspects of our lives. And dear God, for anybody who's listening who doesn't know you, who's not a believer, dear God, I just pray that that word redemption suddenly became less abrasive. That they'll be inspired to move forward in a conversation about what it means to trust you as their Savior with their lives and to give their life to you. Father, we love you and we praise you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. And we ask that you continue to draw us towards redemption. In your name, amen.